Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Well, hello again, Australia. I'm Glenn James, and you are... John Pigeon. Now, today, we are talking about the most banging, sexy subject of all time, and that's tax. It's very interesting, isn't it? John, if I say one word to you, and that word's tax, what comes to mind? Boring. Boring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fair enough. (laughs) What about you? Oh, Bill. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, just to kind of... Before I introduce Sarah, our uh, professional guest today... You know, it is tax time and a lot of the time with our uh, tax returns, there's no point doing a tax episode in July because if you need to make some changes or do some planning, you really want to do that a lot of the time as an employee in June. And if you are a business owner, I might do another episode over on My Millennial Business just around uh, some tax things there. But today we're we're pretty much talking about uh, employees and maybe some sole traders and, you know, uh, we'll keep it pretty high level. Uh, there's an accounting firm that I send a lot of listeners to, uh, Altus Financial, and Scott has been on the podcast in the past. Scott Young, he's the managing director. Uh, full disclosure, Altus Financial is my personal accountants. I pay them a fee, uh, but we don't get anything in return for um, sending anyone to them to do their returns. So having said all that, Sarah Pike, welcome to My Millennial Money. Thank you, guys. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for the introduction. Um, I don't know whether I sound dull or exciting. Well... <laughs> We'll look at the reviews in about a week. <laughs> now, Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Myself. Well, I'm actually from uh, I'm actually from Tasmania, uh-huh. so that was where I was born and bred. Um, and I've been, or oh, I've been in this game for probably 14 years. Um, it makes me sound really old, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I've just always had a, you know, and, and further to what I do is as a career, I've always just had a really big passion and interest in financial matters, whether that be property investing, um, you know, financial planning, all that sort of thing that, you know, I wanted to set myself up so that when I was older, I didn't repeat, you know, the steps of my mother and sort of be financially independent, make my own decisions and be able to, um, I guess, you know, live life on sort of your terms and, and do what you want when you want. Mm. So it's more of a case of, yeah, I'm passionate about this for my own personal situation, but now I want to help others by understanding the numbers and uh, and getting them a good result as well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, tax is one of those things that it's almost like a foreign language. Um, and even and even when you're doing it, you know, there's some things you have to read twice up, upside down, back to front. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally appreciate that, you know, coming at this for the first time or coming at this um, without the day-to-day knowledge that I have, it can be extremely confusing and extremely frustrating. Mm. I find, don't know about you, Glenn, but I find in this space, I just need to take one bite a day or a week and just get little bits of information here and there. And then slowly it, uh, you, you've got this whole kit bag of, uh, of <laughs> yeah. knowledge that you can, um, you can take and apply, but leave it to the professionals, I say. Totally. Before we get into it, Sarah, yes. do you like your job as an accountant? Do I like my job or yeah. do I like working with Scott? Is Either that your way. question, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know, I, I actually do. And, you know, I, I actually work on the outsource CFO side um, of our business. So I work um, with a lot of, you know, sort of traders um, as well as businesses and help them with their business and, and advise, advising on that side of it, whether it be, um, you know, on the tax side of things, whether it's for their accounting and bookkeeping, things like that. So, um, but it, there's that helping element. Like with everything that we do, we're helping them to, whether it be doing their tax or making their business better or just making themselves and their personal like their personal financial situations better. Yeah. So it's all at the end of the day it's all about helping. Awesome. Well let's get into this episode. It's gonna be just QA guys from questions from the Facebook group. So let's get it on. Okay, so there's a heap of questions today. I put in the Facebook group uh, a little while ago if anyone had tax questions. Uh, the first heap are ones that have the most likes. So 
I'm just seeing that as the most popular ones. So the third one down there, John, because I didn't put them in order, uh, it's from Ashley Carden. Do you want to um, read that and see if Sarah can answer that? Let's do that. So Ashley says, uh, what you have to do if you own and have sold shares slash Bitcoin slash micro investment apps, etc.? Yeah, now this is uh, Bitcoin. This is, you know, hot topic Mm. right now. So, uh, look, with Bitcoin, it has been taken that it is like any other share. So, it it is in the capital gains, what we call the capital gains tax realm, um, and taxed accordingly. So, with anything like a share, Bitcoin, any of those assets, um, when you sell that share or asset, um, there will be either you've either made profit on it or you've made a loss on it. So, you've either basically sold it for more than you bought it and you made a gain, profit, or you sold it for less than you bought it and you've made a loss. Um, And it will be taxed at your marginal rate. So, although we call capital gains tax, it's not a separate tax. It's taxed at your marginal rate um, and that will just go on your tax return with everything else under that capital gains section. Okay. So it has a 50% exemption, does it, if you hold it longer than 12 months? That's correct. So you must hold it for longer than 12 months um, and then you do get that, that automatic 50% as, a, as an individual. Um, there are different taxing depending on if we're talking about other entities, but um, 50% if you're an individual and you've held it for longer than 12 months. So as a practical example, if someone was earning $70,000 a year, and they sold $10,000 worth of shares, but they purchased the shares for $6,000. So we've got a $4,000 gain mm-hmm. because it's been more than 12 months. Half of that gain being $2,000 would be added to their tax. So it would be as if they earned $72,000. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. So it gets it gets added to the rest of your, your income um, and then less any deductions to get to your, your yep. taxable income for the year. Correct. Yeah. Just on the micro investment apps and investment stuff, uh, if you've got an app like Ray's Spaceship, um, you might have Vanguard Personal Investor, you might have, you know, insert your product here, they will send you at the end of the year uh, and it's called, I think, is it still a consolidated tax statement or a tax summary or something yeah, like that? Yeah, normally a tax summary, like a financial year tax summary. Yeah. Correct. And what do people see on those pre-field ones from product providers? Um, they'll do, they'll categorise everything. So they'll talk about, um, you know, purchases, um, sales, they then go through into, they normally have like a bit of a cash summary as well. So you'll see all your inflows and outflows. Um, and then also a, a capital gain sort of register within that. So it will talk to what you sold during the year, what you, and basically all the the elements that you need to calculate that gain or loss. So they're, so they're very good yeah. um, and they're really handy and Combank and all those ones sort of do those. And I guess the difference is if you buy shares yourself through Self-Wealth or you know, E-Trade or a broker, mm. you're going to need to get all that information together yourself, your accountant. There isn't an automated report. No. No, that's correct. So look, the ATO does have very good visibility over 99% of things um, and they'll report on everything they do know. Quite often they, they might actually come up on there and say, we know you sold this, but we don't have any more information. So that's where we will need that information from you to get the, the granular detail of what you sold and how much and, and what the gain was. Um, so the ATO still doesn't have a reach on, on some of that stuff. So would they be telling you, the ATO would be telling you prior to that or after the fact? No, well, so we only get that. So that report comes out once a year. So yep. that's like what we call this pre-fill report. Um, so that will come out basically post 30 June. Yep. So we'll find out after the year's over. Um, so yeah, anything like that, just, you know, keep your records um, and sort of, you know, have mm. everything jotted down. So as an example, the pre-fill report, and it sounds like a dumb question, but this is kind of new stuff with the way technology is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't get given PAYG summaries anymore. Correct. So on the pre-fill report, does that include everybody's quote-unquote group certificate, PAYG summary? That's correct, yes. Look, that's from an accounting side, that's what we um, use for preparation and that's what we can see on our side. Um, As individuals through your MyGov, you won't see – it does actually ask ask you, do you want to pre-fill – um, your form and that's that's essentially what they're doing so right. you won't see what we see but they then pull that information from their systems and go okay well we've got all this they pre-fill each of your labels and then you have to check it and make sure it's correct and that includes any interest from bank accounts yes right. yes look it's not 100% accurate um, but you know 99% of the time they will have most things mm. but like I said when it comes to granular detail like the sale of investments that's where it gets a little bit shaky so you can't hide Glenn you can't hide no, you, you can't. You used to be able to allegedly hide profit from cryptocurrencies before the ATO cracked onto this. 
that now I believe the Australian-based exchanges and a lot of exchanges are reporting to the ATO. Yeah, now, because originally, though, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on, on that, Glenn, but originally we, the ATO didn't know how to tax cryptocurrency. Mm. So it sort of stayed in this realm. It was almost like cash, but it wasn't. So it wasn't until they really came up with a methodology to treat it like a share in any other asset that um, there would be an obligation now to report that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that, but it definitely is classed as an asset, hence why they would be looking for that information. Because I know last financial year uh, when Rosie was doing my tax return, uh, she said, oh, I need the info from uh, Bitcoin sales. I'm like, what? How did you know about that? <laughs> <laughs> what Bitcoin sales? Yeah, um, but it turned out that was some reporting in the background and the ATO, like you said before, they said, we know you did some type of activity. They're right. Can you just yeah. let us know? You say, I yeah. know nothing. <laughs> no. Not me. Someone else, wrong name. <laughs> All right. There's a question. Thanks, Ashley, for that question. Uh, but I, I think it just speaks to uh, the more complex your um, investments are, the more of your own record keeping that you need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and if you're looking at multiple investment properties and things like that, it does, you know, if you don't have someone else managing these things for you, um, there is a lot of paperwork and a lot of things that you need to um, have jotted down and sort of have saved. Um, and particularly with a lot of the share stuff and even crypto and particularly with shares, a lot of it's still paper-based. Mm. So you get a lot of, you know, oh, things crazy, from that. Yeah. It? So you un- need to kind of, you need to kind of keep that, you know, print it in or scan it in or do something with it because you will need it one day. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you've probably chucked it or it's, you know, it's gone. Yeah. But- I realised this week, we bought a car last week and I just like, right, I'm going to get this right this time. I'm going to mm. tell my accountant today that this is a date, this is a stamp duty, this is a... Nice. Well I'm done, like, John. Well, proud me um, <laughs> because I've not done that in the past and it's a pain mm-hmm. in the butt to then go and um, retrospectively look back, geez, what date was I purchasing Correct. that? Yeah. So we've, we've got to remind ourselves on the way in, don't we? Sarah, what's the best DIY record-keeping solution for uh, individuals and their tax? Look, it sort of depends on, I guess, what your um, – for things like shares, because they are so paper-based and they'll come from multiple directions, that's really going to be a matter of collating that, scanning it in and, and having um, an application on your on your laptop or on your phone because um, there is even, you know, apps from, from your phone like Scannable that will then mm. PDF something um, that you take a photo of and then you can store it within your device. So there's things like that. But, you know, if you're investing property and stuff like that, you can talk about whether it's managed or it's or you're doing it yourself. Um, personally, managed is so much easier because they have it all for you. Totally. And you just go back to them and go, okay, and in my annual summary, let's go. But I would even say if you've got um, access to Google Sheets or uh, Microsoft Online, just do a spreadsheet. Mm. Like if you make a donation to a charity of $20 in the street, and they give you a receipt, or if mm. you buy some work shorts or work shoes, mm. just put the date, what the item is, and the amount. And then at the end of the year, whether you're doing the tax return yourself or your accountant, you're going to need that information. Correct. And look, a lot of stuff is electronic. So even, you know, when you do make donations for other stuff that's not in the street, mm. you'll get an email. Mm. So generally, I would file those, have have subfolders for those, um, and you can actually, you know, keep it all that way. Yeah. Okay. So making it really basic example here, I bought a coffee downstairs an mm-hmm. hour ago. And that went stra- the restri- receipt went straight through to my email. Mm-hmm. What would you now do with that? You'd put it in a subfolder, would you? Yeah. So look, in in your case, um, you do have an entity, don't you, John? Yeah, so it was a business meeting. Yeah. So you could use something like a receipt bank and put that straight through to your zero file. Yeah. Um, in the case of an individual, then if you do have that electronic copy, then yeah, you you could just I would say that in a subfolder and be like, you know, meetings or entertainment or something like that. You know, I have them each for you know whether it's insurance or donations or property, and and I have them sort of categorised that way. So it's definitely an easy way of doing it. And you just I leave them unhighlighted, so I come back to it because I know that that relates to the current financial year. Yeah. Mm. Just on John's expense claim, because there's people that run businesses that listen. Mm -hmm. If you have a business meeting with two people, strictly speaking, only half of that you can claim. That's cr- you can't yeah, claim your own. that's correct. Look, entertainment's, uh, gotcha, entertainment's one of those. <laughs> gotcha. What a, I was on my own. I was a meeting with myself. Well, you can't claim that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, entertainment's one of those ones. It's, um, you know, it's a necessary evil. You, you have to do it. You can't run businesses. You can't do things without a level of entertainment. Um, but it is caught in that at FBT realm as well as being non-deductible to some extent depending on um, the number of, you know, clients versus staff um, that are at that event. Mm. So... Yeah. Yeah, always got to be wary of that one. We're on to you, John. Mate, I didn't say I claimed the whole lot. I've just 
merely asks, where am I putting my receipt? In the bin because it's not a business <laughs> expense. All right, let's move on. 50% of it is. <laughs> All right. Okay, mate. Um, there's a question here from Claudia, and this is a popular one at this time, claiming work from home costs like electricity, office furniture, and Gemma Walker also says, what's the go with work from home expenses? She thinks last year was there was a $0.52 cent an hour option or $0.80 cent an hour or is it better to manually calculate? So lay of the land, a lot of people are working from home at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melbourne's been locked down 58 times in the last 10 minutes. Uh, so this working from home, what do we need to know? Yeah, so look, the ACO did kind of complicated it last year with their COVID relief um, incentive, which was to put in another rate. So, so Gemma is correct. There is a, a 52 cent rate, but also an 80 cent rate. Now, the 80 cent rate was in was the, the COVID one where they said, well, if you want to claim the hours that you've worked from home, um, put in 80 cents an hour. At, but the only caveat to that is it covers everything that you've been doing at home. So you can claim no other working from home expenses except for 80 cents an hour. Uh, Whereas with the 52 cents, which has historically been there, 52 cents has always been the working from home rate or it would be indexed, but that's been available for a number of years. But that you claim the 52 cents for the hours that you worked, but you can also claim your internet, your telephone bill, your home printing, you know, and and those sorts of things, home office, depreciation of a home office um, assets and things like that. Whereas 80 cents, you can't do any of that. It's just 80 cents per hour for the number of hours worked. And in your experience, which one ends up the better option? 52 cents. Yep. And then then adding everything up. Correct, because everyone has internet, everyone has mobiles, Mm. um, and that quite quickly adds up. This is really amazing because, you know, when I had my last business, you know, the handful of staff came to the office, were from the office in and out. Now with Simo, with all the podcast staff, you know, there's four people that basically work full-time from home. Mm. So in terms of the government and tax deductions, I would say to my team... Make sure that you've, you know, you've obviously got a diary, but yeah, how many hours a week are you working? Correct. You know, watch your electricity bill because it can add up. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So it's just such a, um, a big deal. So what's a practical example if somebody's working from home Mm -hmm. and their electricity bill is $500 a quarter, like there's a family or something, how are they working that out? Are they prorating? Or prorating, how do you say that? Yeah, yeah, prorating, prorating. Um, look, it is, you sort of have to look at, what when it comes down to things like electricity, you sort of have to look at the square meterage of the home that you're using. Mm. Um, so if you have ideally a designated home office space or a room, then you would sort of say, okay, this space is 10% of the total um, home, floor you know, area. size and floor yeah. area. Going to be a lot um, of people working out of their office room. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> a lot of measuring going on. Yeah. Big deck um, out the back. Yeah, yeah so that, that's kind of how it comes into play for things like that. Um, now, just bearing in mind, working from home expenses, it doesn't then extend to things like your mortgage um, or your rent. So those sorts of things are off the table if you're an employee working from home. Um, there's carve-outs for those sorts of things if you have a business and you have signage and you have people visiting your home. Um, but for employees, all of that sort of thing is, is not deductible. So so for employees, does it change by industry or is it pretty standard? No, look, it's, it's pretty standard. It's a working from home rate. So that rate makes no difference depending on whether you're a doctor or an accountant. Yep. Um, it's purely just for the hours that you've worked. That's really cool. So... I just want to really clarify this because there's so many people that work from home now. Mm-hmm. 52 cents an hour, then you can look at the pro rata usage of electricity, uh, gas for yep. heating. Your laptop. Laptop. Telephone. Telephone. Internet. Internet. Uh, what about amenities? Amenities as in? Tea. Toilet tea paper. room. Um, like the coffee. Talk <laughs> to your accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think you might have a hard time to uh, say there's you really? know, business coffee use machine? of your, uh, you know, I think it's more personal use asset there. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, so yeah, look, the 50 cents, 52 cents an hour has generally been the much better option. Mm. Um, just because 80 cents, you do lose out on all those other things. Well, the government also want to make it easy for people just to they claim do. it. And, and that then, was the reason yeah, they, yeah. they brought the 80 cents in. Yeah. So generally speaking, and it's a a very broad question here, but people working from home now claiming their 52 versus going into the office and not being able to claim essentially anything, Mm -hmm. do they actually come out on top, do you think, in a lot of cases now? 
from working at home? Yeah. Um, look, at the 80 cents an hour, it, when you actually calculate it across the whole year, unless you're working seven days a week, um, eight hours, you know, 10 hours a day, it, it's not a huge amount of money. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking, we're not talking thousands, no. we're talking hundreds of dollars. So if that is the difference between you kind of, yeah, wanting to get ahead, um, it's yeah. probably not the way no. to go. <laughs> but also you're better off because you don't have uh, transportation, you're probably yeah. not lunch. Well, that's yeah. right, you're saving on other things. Lifestyle-wise, um, yeah. And look, certainly last year, like when, when um, everyone did go into lockdown, people went out and bought monitors and, mm. you know, chairs and whole fit-outs for their office. So um, there was a lot of expenses occurred last year that we could then deduct. This year you'll probably find most people have already done that. So yeah. in 2021 and 2022, then the expenses of the home office have gone down and it might just be the cents per um, hour that you're actually claiming for. If someone purchases a new stand-up desk mm-hmm. uh, because they are working from home now, can they claim 100% of that cost or just a prorated hours in the day off that capital amount? Um, it's more, it more sort of comes down to, well, is that desk 100% work related or is there a personal private portion? Um, and with individuals, that's always a really hard to gauge. Um, you know, hundred percent is a very hard target to Mm. really reach. Um, you know, unless you do not go into that room and use that desk for any other time of the week. Mm. Um, you know, if you're browsing your laptop and you're on the internet and you're using that desk, you know, so look, 100% always a bit of a red flag to the ATO. So yep. I would generally say, you know, you, you want to go, you want to, you know, if it, it legitimately is, then great. But 100% is, is one that you just really have to be able to back. Yep. Um, so it's always one that, yeah. The eighty twenty rule is safer. It is. Mm. Yeah, it just, like it is John hard John drank 80% of his coffee it's hard on to argue. work time. Yeah, it's hard to argue that you've <laughs> never ever used it for personal use. Um, it's like telephone and internet. Yeah. You know, unless you've got two phones, one's definitely yeah. work, the other one's personal. Um, there's always a personal portion. Yeah. But it's just good to know, and this is why I think it's so important. Mm. Um, talk to an accountant, you know, mm. reach out. We'll put a link in the show notes to speak with uh, Sarah's team. And, you know, I don't mind people paying to get accounting work done because they might pick up things that they might have missed otherwise. And it, it, it really does make your life easier. Let's have a look here. Do you want to read a question from Trista Coco, John? Yes. So Trista says, deadline for contributing additional funds to super with intentions to claim on tax. Yeah. So the thing with super is it's very strict. So it has to be in before the end of the year. Um, And when I say that, the 30th of June each year. So, um, and when I say it has to be in, it actually has to have left your bank account and be in your fund. Mm. Um, And this goes for anyone. This goes for companies. This goes for individuals. um, This goes for, yeah, for everybody. Um, If it's not actually physically sitting in your fund by the 30th of June um, and you've done, and you must do that notice of intent to claim as well, um, which goes to your super fund, then it it will be um, disallowed by the ATO. This is one of my favourite changes um, to the tax laws and rules um, probably in a long time where, you know, at the end of the financial year, if you've got 20 grand in savings, if you've got 10 grand in savings, if you've got five grand in savings and you're like, well, I don't know where to invest this for the future, I'd like to do something with it, you might make the call to transfer, you know, two grand over to your super fund, invest it for the future fill out an intent to claim form with the fund. Mm-hmm. The fund will then take the 15% contributions tax. And then that amount, the two grand, the 10 grand, whatever you want to do, as long as you're under that cap, and we'll get to the cap shortly, that could be a good way to pick up a, a tax deduction on the way through to the end of the financial year and invest some money for the long term in super. Yeah, no, look, it's certainly an option. I guess the only thing we normally um, just voice our opinion on is the fact that once it's in there, it's it's gone for a very long time. Yeah, it's locked away. Yeah. yeah so if you, you know, if you're really, uh, if you're really a long hold type of person, that's perfect for you. But it, you know, depending on how old you are, then you're not going to see it um, until you retire. So it's just something. And we that's why kind of- I kind of, you know, I preface like you might. So if someone has ten grand of savings and they yeah. want to do something with it, mm. well. If you don't know, we're probably not putting ten grand in super. If you still haven't bought your first home, or that, you yeah, your, but you might go, look, I'm going to put two thousand in. I'm going to put one thousand in. Yeah, and obviously a lot of people follow the advice of the accountant, don't they? And and a lot of times it's actually the accountant's um, thought process that determines what they do. So they could be really pro super, regardless of your age, um, versus someone that says, like you've just said, well, yeah, if you're 25, you've got. 30 or 35 years before you can access it, 
think uh, hard before you go and do it. Yeah, and look, it does depend. Coming back, sort of what you touched on, Glenn, is you know, have yeah, have they bought their first home, or is there other things that are coming up in their lives? Are they starting a family? Um, there's other things that will be you know quite heavy on the funding, um, and locking away that sort of money for the next 30, 40, 50 years just may not be the most feasible option. Um, although you know, in saying that, there's always salary sacrifice um, as well as an option. So um, I actually personally do it, and it's only a couple hundred bucks a month, um, but I figure that that's better than doing nothing. Um, the compounding effect on that year on year with the interest, um, you, you know, is a good way it. to start. Correct. Yeah. If you get a pay rise, then you can, you know, essentially salary sacrifice the top of it off yeah. mm. and you don't really miss that amount. And just on the super caps, so you, you can put in up to $25,000 per year as correct. a concessional contribution, but it includes what your employer puts in. That's correct. Yes. Yep. So it's whatever, it's less whatever you've already had received as super guarantee from your employer. So for example, like there are plenty of people who listen to this podcast who've got lots of money and would legitimately cap out that cap each year. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people just starting out or, you know, doing it tough on a disability income or whatever, where, you know, shut your ears. It's just not for you right now. But if your employer had put $10,000 in before the end of this year, this financial year, there is a serious call to make, well, if I've got a crap load of cash, do Correct. I put 15 grand in and at least get to the cap and move on? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a legitimate strategy and absolutely. that's why we want to release these episodes before the end of the financial year. Mm. So at yep. least you can do a bit of a autopsy before this episode. Today I sat here for an hour with Roz and we were just doing some end of year tax planning for me, for the business. You can do that for your own life. Yeah. Well, that's right. And look, honestly, you'd want to be making that decision and actually processing that amount by about the middle of June because they do get busy um, and you, you would just want to make sure that it's in there before you miss miss the boat. Yeah. Let's have a look here. Stacey Moffat, first year as a sole trader. Any tips or hints? So it's her first full financial year as a sole trader. So if you've got a new client who just started their own business, you know, June last year, July last year, what are you kind of saying before they come in to see you to do their tax return? Yeah, look, as a as a sole trader, you're almost still in that there you're in that individual realm. So you've got an ABN um, and you're running a business of, of a sort, but um, you're still really bound by um, the things that apply to individuals because at the end of the day, you just do an individual tax return, and that's just it falls out into the business section. But there's sort of no additional specific things to a sole trader um, and because you can, unfortunately you don't you can't really pay yourself a wage mm. um, you don't have those sort of added deductions that you would have in a company um, or other entity so um, with look with everything um, when we're looking at obviously tax we can either um, prepay our expenses bring some things forward and try and reduce our taxable income um, or the other side of that would be would be your income and, and you know either somehow reducing that or, or pushing that forward into the next financial year um, but it would just be looking at was well, there anything that you can bring forward for for that um, that trading agency you know can you prepay um, some supplies or um, you can prepay your accountant um, I do have clients that do that yeah, really? so yeah music to your ears. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So you can, yeah, you can bring things forward and prepay them. It's a timing difference. Obviously, you need to keep doing it then every year. Mm. But, you know, if there's anything like that that she can bring forward, then that would be something to, to look into. Yeah. And I would probably say as well, like, if it's your first full year, let's make a scenario up. If they said, yeah, you've earned 50 grand or 40 grand and you need to pay $4,000 in tax, you're going to get a bill for $4,000. Then what happens so after, so yeah, once you do fall into that realm because you wouldn't have prepaid any tax for that year, you then go in what, in what we call the um, pay-as-you-go instalment system. So that's where you actually prepay your income tax um, for the next financial year. Now that happens to, that can happen to everyone. So even as individuals, if you had a large tax bill, you would automatically fall into that system in the year after that return. Um, but we, in the case of sole traders, once you start making um, profit because you're not having that income tax taken out by an employer, um, then you will fall into that system naturally and you'll have to keep up those payments once a quarter. So likely if your tax bill was $4,000 in the first year, once you put your tax return in and submit it, they might say, all right, you're now paying 
$1,100 a quarter Correct. because we're going to get a little bit more from mm. you because we're going to assume your business will grow a little bit. That's right. Yeah, that's that's sort of what they look at. They do look at the, the last year to then preempt what you'll pay for the next year. Yep. And I guess coming back to our super point, for someone like a sole trader, that super contribution is super important because no one else is doing it for you. Mm. So if, if you're not doing it for yourself, to you. you're literally not putting anything into super. Yeah, it's an interesting balance in that first year of running your own business as a sole trader, isn't it? Well, you, that's right. You want to stay cash heavy, but you, Correct. You, you're wanting, generally speaking, you're going to be spending probably a lot more in your first year because of the setup costs and buying your new tools. And Well, and it, it's funny you say that, John. Like I've just pretty much about to complete the first full financial year of Simo Interactive, the podcast business, because I wasn't running, I was running it through my trust before and we gotcha. wanted to set it up. So this is the first full financial year. And we're doing the exact same things. Like Ros is like, get your bookkeeper to pay the super for the staff for June in June. Yeah. So we're not going to pay it. So we're just going to try and cram everything into this financial year. Mm. And then the installments are going to start once we lodge the return. Yep. Um, but I will say, you know, in terms of super and being a sole trader, don't necessarily freak out too much in the first year. No. Because we want you to be able to pay your rent or pay your Correct. mortgage. <laughs> but Correct. get to a point where you might be like, look, we've earned 80 grand a year. If I was employed, I'd be, you know, getting $8,000 because it goes to 10% next year. Yeah. So can you put, you know, even if you just did $800 a month, well, that's right. Cash, and it's just it. exactly just yeah. putting it aside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with companies, we, we all always say, like, you know, if you have sort of a GST savings account, for example, so when each quarter you have your liabilities due to the ATO, um, you know, you've already got a bit of surplus there. That's yeah. kind of, you don't touch it. That's for your, your GST and your BAS. Um, and the same sort of goes, particularly for sole traders, you know, if, if they can chip away a little bit and just go, okay, well, here's an account for my ATO liabilities, mm. even if that's, yeah, $100 a week um, or, or something minor, that at least it builds up there and they know that that's specifically for that mm, use. Yeah. So on the theme of sole traders, Monica Tram says asset write-off for sole traders. What could we buy now as a write-off? Yeah, now as a sole trader, because like I said, they are virtually considered an individual. There's actually no immediate write-off mm. for a sole trader. Um, so that's that's only um, for for the business realm for the for the companies, um, but you know there's there's still the depreciation rules. So you can buy something, although it might not be deductible straight away tomorrow. Um, you can depreciate that over the life of the asset. So for a laptop, for example, that's three years. So you can buy that laptop. It'll just take you three years to get the full deduction yeah. for the cost of the laptop. So let's just do a basic assumption. If the laptop was or the piece of equipment was one thousand mm-hmm. dollars. The first year tax return, you're not claiming the full $1,000. You might only be claiming 30%. Well, that's right. Yeah, depending on when you bought it and, you know, all those sorts of things yeah. um, and your actual marginal tax rate because you'll, you'll um, obviously get the, the rate. So for a laptop, it's 66.67% is, is the deductible amount right. per year. Right. Um, but then you get that deduction. So say, say you get a $1,000 deduction on a $3,000 laptop, but then you obviously only get the deduction at the marginal rate. So yes. if your marginal rate is 30%, then you'll get 30% of the 1,000 is actually what is is your deduction. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage any, because I want to move on from sole traders, because um, I can cover more on the My Millennial Business podcast, but you know, if you are a self-employed person, you need to stop doing your tax yourself and you need to look at either getting a good bookkeeping system or a bookkeeper, depending on the size of your operation. Uh, because you just need to focus on what you're good at and that's running your business, not worrying about tax. So I'll take that as a comment, Glenn. We'll take a quick break and we're going to come back with some questions about dividends. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, we're back. There's a question from Holly Smith. Do you want to read a question, Sarah? Oh, sure. Yeah, Give me the biggest question on here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm still timed that dining. perfectly. Yeah. All right. This this question's from Holly Smith. Um, this will be our first tax return where we will need to declare dividends. Can we do this via the online MyGov tax return system? And the shares are in both mine and my hubby's name. Do you just do just one of us declare or split fifty fifty? 
So absolutely. So that can be done through MyGov. Now with dividends and when I was talking about the the information the ATO has previously, um, nine times out of 10, they will have that data, um, particularly if it's a BHP or if it's, if it's a big entity. If it is a private company, um, that'll be unlikely, um, but certainly a listed company will be will be there. So that will most likely pre-fill into your actual MyGov. Um, now, the fact that they are both your names, again, the ATO will most likely already know this. Um, in with the interest accounts, when there's more than two people listed on an interest account, it automatically spits, splits at 50-50. And is that because when you um, set up a joint bank account with somebody else, it asks for both people's tax file number or yeah, quite possibly, but it also it also knows um, that there's more than one person. As sure. soon as there's more than one person on a particular account, um, it basically counts each of those people and and splits it accordingly. Um, yeah. It's like when you know parents have accounts on behalf of their children, mm. um, and you, those will come through automatically and be split. So again, um, I like practical examples because I'm a bit basic. If there was dividends of five thousand mm-hmm. dollars for the year instead of one person having a tax bill for an extra $5,000, it's smoothed out to $2,500 That's each. correct. And if there was any of the franking credits- That's right. They would be halved and credited to each individual person. That's right. So everything's split, split 50-50 straight down the middle. There's no, um, unfortunately, there's no benefit to one or the other where they could take all the franking credits and you get nothing. Yeah. Um, it's an automatic split down the middle. Yeah. So when people, like if someone wants to get started in share investing or something like that, and there's a lower income earner spouse who might want to be a full-time homemaker- and do the kid thing or might just not want to work or whatever that is. Talk to us about what usually works out in terms of tax and the reason why, where you might set up that share account in the lowest income earner's name. Yeah, well, look, naturally, um, and I guess from it, when we talk about the business realm, we deal with, um, you know, a lot of families and their businesses and then how we can um, split the income across those families. And the same goes for individuals. If there's a partnership um, and one of you earns, you know, twice as much as the other, um, or you do have, um, you know, a partner who's on maternity or parental leave and paternity leave, um, then you would you would naturally go for the person with um, the lower amount of income because you're naturally going to get a t- you know, a tax advantage there because they're just going to be paying at a, a lower marginal rate than than the other person. Do you do you get um, this after the fact, or do you generally get clients come to you and say, "Look, we're looking buying some shares. How should we structure this? What's the percentages, or who should whose name should we buy them? Or do you find out at the end of the year and say, "Oh, I bought these shares five <laughs> months ago. I'm just telling you now." I would love to say that I find out beforehand. I would tell you 99.97 time I find out afterwards. Right. Um, look, with shares, generally you're you're dealing with a much smaller sort of portion and yep. percentage. Um, one thing that we do we cannot we do also talk about though quite a bit is property. So mm. we do have that on the property side of things, and you will find you know maybe 50 50 percent of the time they will actually come to you and, yep. and ask you about that. Only um, 50% of the time. I would, yeah. You well, know, it's... Uh, might do a podcast on that. <laughs> yeah. Telling your accountant things. Um, but, you know, certainly with that, you know, we would have it skewed to um, potentially the partner that does earn less. Mm. Um, and it might be that... Uh, 99% of it is one in one partner's name and 1% is another partner's name. So they're both still on it, yeah. um, but literally all of the income is going to go to highest the partner income. with yeah, the and, lowest. And, and obviously understanding how long you're going to hold that asset for. That's right. Like ideally you want to make some money, but yeah, how's that going to be? Is it a quick turnover in 12 months, two years, especially in the from like Bitcoin and things like that where it might be just really short, sharp trades. Yeah, no, correct. Um, but it could be, but, you know, looking at, I guess, um, each individual's sort of trajectory and, and what they do for a career and, and that sort of thing, um, if you can sort of tell that one person's always going to earn two or three times more than the other, yep. um, it might be a fairly easy decision to make. Mm. Cool. A question here from Angelica Walsh, charity donations. Yes. Is there a maximum that you can claim? Um, the only thing with donations, you can't go into a loss with donations. So um, no real maximum, but if you did end up spending $100,000 on donations and you only earned sixty, um, and it actually forces you into a loss position, then you sort of lose you lose that amount below. That um, happened to me the, the year I, after I sold my <laughs> business. I, I didn't earn any income and I gave a heap of money away that was tax deductible and my tax return was – so my um, – notice of assessment where it says your taxable income. Zero. No, it said minus 
Minus. You know, 20,000 yeah. or whatever it was. Like it was, um, yeah, wild. And so I'm like, in oh. that example of the 60K, it caps, it stops at the 60, does it? Uh, well, it won't stop, but the thing is you, you just lose you, – you can't put yourself into a loss position with donations, yeah. so you just lose whatever you've gone above and beyond. Yeah. So the 40 income. over is just not money down Wasted. the drain. It's a nice feel well, the government, well, donated, the government but... aren't going to be like, oh, we're going to just give you money out of nowhere. Mm. Correct, yeah. So, you know, it looks a beautiful gesture and you're obviously – you're very charitable. Yep, well done. Um, but it, you can't put, put yourself this into way, a loss position. If I would have known, I wouldn't have done it. I would have waited the next financial <laughs> year. <laughs> Talk to your accountant before you did it. Yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> there we go. Full circle. Totally. Um, let's have a look. There's another – a lot of these questions are kind of the same. Uh, what about Jamie Wood at the bottom there? Yeah. Common things FIFO workers can claim if their employer supplies most things for them. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Qantas club membership. Yeah. So, look, with um with these guys, there's nothing, again, um, you know, although it's a, it's a certain field of work, there's nothing necessarily specific mm. to, a, to a FIFO worker. Um, you know, obviously they do a lot of travel. However, anything that's connected to your, your home, your actual main residence, wherever that might be in the country, um, anything to or from that, yes. that place of residence is, is exempt, unfortunately, um, and that goes for, for everyone. If we, you know, if we leave our house and go to work, that that trip is not covered. So anything with a personal nature attached to it at either end, whether you're coming or going from home, is is strictly non-deductible for everyone. Yeah. So there needs to be a destination in the middle, essentially. Correct. It? Yeah. Um, so say if you you flew you flew to WA to go to your work site, and they're like, oh, we need to put you up here, and yeah. they probably paid for it anyway. But um, if you did do any travel between two places of work um, or projects or that sort of thing, then that's all deductible. Um, look, with these people, there's normally a lot of licences that are required so you might have memberships you might have union fees um, any of those sorts of things that are, have a direct connection to what you do um, look if you have a membership to you know Foxtel then that's not necessarily going to have a connection to your work um, but if you need a heavy rigging license and things like that then there's that direct connection to mm. what you do as well as you know with um, clothing a lot of your, your uniform and things like that are quite specific. Um, again, if it's been paid for, then um, we, you can't claim that. But if you are going out and finding that you're having to get protective wear, like special sunglasses, special yeah. boots, um, all of that sort of thing, and then that flows into tools and equipment. So if you do need any specific things for your job that is not paid for by your employer, um, that also is, is available. Side question, asking for a friend, when can you claim Foxtel? <laughs> Um, maybe if you were um, in the gamble, you know, you're a maybe you're what a, about a, a if water you run a, um, a money podcasting business <laughs> and I want to need I need you need the business channel. I, need, yeah. I do. Well, look, you could argue that there was a business mm. portion there, but mm-hmm. whether whether it's a hundred percent business would be something that you would have to. Well, what if determine? What if a hundred percent business is a hundred percent of my pleasure? <laughs> Try telling that to the AGL and let me know how you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd be really interested to hear the outcome. Oh, I, I think I actually cancelled my Fox L after my friend moved to America because he was the only one who watched it. Mm. Um, there's a question here. Oh, actually, just the work from home stuff. I was just thinking, if, for example, you are working from home and you start at 8.30 or 9 in the morning from home and then they said, all right, everyone, work from home in the morning, drive over, come in for a two o'clock meeting, go back home. Technically, can I claim cents per kilometre if I'm driving into the office because I started at home and I'm finishing at home? Well, it's still got that that personal element. Um, there is some carve-outs for if you have to carry bulky goods. So say you're a PE teacher and you have to carry around a whole bunch of soccer balls and stuff like that. Um, even if you're coming from going from home and there's things that you must have with you, then there is exemptions around that sort of thing. But with that with that personal connection, it's, it's just very hard to argue. And it's important to highlight that, you know, a lot of people go, oh, I've got the best accountant, like she claims everything for me and we get the biggest tax return. <laughs> it's like, that's cute. If it's wrong, she's not going to jail. No. You are. Well, that is correct. The onus is on the taxpayer and that's you. Yeah, and so, that sucks. Yeah, 
you can sue them and, you know, but at Good the end luck. of the day, we, if you actually read your letter, your cover letters that you'll receive with your end of year packs, we basically disclaim everything away. So, yeah. um, you know, if, if you are if you're going to try and um, take sort of that back on them, it, it's going to be very hard for you because that's the ATO's view. It is you. And just to, there's another question here about crypto. Uh, Sumi says, you know, how to work out crypto and paying CGT or if there's specialised accountants for this. I mean, when it kind of first started taking off, there were accountants saying we're crypto specialists. At the end of the day, it's an asset. Correct. It's like a share. Yeah. So it gets no special treatment um, at this point in time. Look, they might change in the future, well, but right now. Yeah, I will say if you hold cryptocurrency and you hold it to actually trade and use as a currency, it's not treated as a CGT event. Yeah, so if you're holding and trading though, so almost like a business. Well, no, I mean, if you're um, literally, I'm buying my car with crypto, I'm buying my food with crypto, I'm using it as an actual day-to-day currency, it's treated like CGT cash. Oh, I got you. Yeah. yeah. So, mm. but I mean, go. no one's- Is that you, Glenn? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who is doing that? Well, I, and this is it. Like you see all these like Teslas come out, like you can buy a Tesla with crypto. It's like the way it's behaving and how volatile it is. Mm. You know, if you bought your um, Tesla yesterday with Bitcoin and it dropped 50% overnight. Yeah, which it could. That Tesla's cost you a lot of money. Uh, Correct. If it went up 50%, we got the best deal in the world. So I think it's just, uh, let's just chill out everyone with this crypto stuff just mm. for 10 hot minutes and don't overdo it. Yes. Hannah Warhurst. We might finish up with this one. Do you want to read that, John? Mm-hmm. Top of the second page. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Hannah says, what to do is side hustle income under sole trader ABN. How does one tax themselves? At one point, do you need to tax your side hustle, a.k.a. any side hustle tax tips? All Probably right. Cover well, a little uh, bit of uh, this under the sole trader stuff, but yeah. yeah. So with um, look with the whether it's a side hustle, you're a sole trader. Again, you're still at individual level, so yeah. you're being taxed at your marginal rate. Um, look in relation to the side hustle, that all comes down to frequency mm. um, and just how you know how involved you are in that. So if that, if that's more of a hobby, yeah. then um, that's going to be the point where you know you're doing it fairly infrequently. You know, probably less than once a month. Yeah, and um, that's going to Stay sort of in your personal realm. Does the word intent come into this? Well, that's right. If the if if there is intent there to make money, that's a profit making, um, and that that goes across the board for um, basically any company. Yeah. If it's a profit making venture, and that is what your intent is to start with, um, then that's what the ATO looks for. Um, but it, it's all about that frequency. So if you're if you're doing this sort of week in week out, you know you're, you're it doesn't even necessarily matter how much money you're making, um, but you're you know you're putting a lot of effort into it. Um, you've maybe advertised for it. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of, you know, you, you're putting yourself out there to the wider public. If you're just doing it, say you're just doing it for friends and family um, and really just the people that know you, if you're then suddenly putting out to, to public consumption yeah. and you're actually helping the public at large and offering your services, it's becoming a bit more than a side yeah. hustle. And they can check that nowadays with how much marketing you're doing on online, et cetera. Well, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's right. And, you know, I have heard, um, you know, sort of they, the ATO, um, you know, see things on Gumtree, yeah. they see, you know, eBay. Um, if there's things that are popping up on a very frequent occurrence, they yeah. can tell that you're running a business as opposed to a hobby. So this is probably a story for another day, but when we look at Soul Trader versus PTYLTD um, company, when do you make the decision, yeah, I'm going to start up as this and change over or just start up and just let it run? Yeah, look, that's um, that's a good question. And look, there is some very different taxing, um, I guess, points there because with a company, that the actual company tax rate is coming down um, as we speak. Mm. So in 2022, we're coming down to 25%, um, which, which is, yeah, it's a great rate. Like when you compare it to the individual tax rates, there would only be, you know, mm. two that are under that and that's yeah. the tax rate threshold and then the 19%. So, um, you know, there's a huge advantage there from a tax perspective. Now, the only thing you do need to consider is if you are doing something that a business that requires your skill and knowledge, say you're an electrician, for example, um, you're working for yourself, um, that work is... 
purely consists of, you know, yes, you use drills and tools and that sort of thing, but that work and that business purely consists of your skill and your knowledge in that area. So without you, there is no business. Um, and that's what we call personal services income. So right. in the event that you gone from, you went from a sole trader and you're going into that sort of company and, and that's how your business is run, unfortunately, you would still be taxed at your marginal rate mm-hmm. um, okay. and not the company Interesting. rate. Interesting. Because, yeah, there's implications with insurance depending on the trade too, isn't there? Well, absolutely. And and yeah, so you can sort of get caught up in there if, if you're, say, a manicurist or um, someone that sort of uses actual tools and that sort of thing for, for your work, um, then you may be able to get around those personal services income rules. Um, but that's going to be the biggest thing that, that's going to hold you back from getting the advantage of, of the company tax rate. Um, in saying that, look, there is also a lot of compliance that goes with running a business yep. so and, and a company structure. Um, you know, there's there's sort of yearly fees to ASIC um, to, yep. to manage that, as well as your Startup. compliance. Like you're probably going to triple your compliance costs um, yep. with, with a company. But look, you, you're probably going to be looking at you know when you start getting up into incomes of a hundred thousand plus dollars that's when you're going to start you know paying some serious tax Um, and it might be something that you then look into to moving over into a company Mm. cool sorry guys i was silent for a few minutes i was just on my phone um I don't trust you guys. Quite soothing, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I should spend more time on my phone during episodes. But I guess I just want to, um, you know, we've covered a bit of ground and, you know, it's the same thing. Like you just need personal attention from a professional. And, you know, I don't have a horse in this accountant race. uh, So reach out to Altus. Uh, I'm sure your team will talk to anyone for 15 minutes. There's a link in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, Happy to. And... I don't know. It's just, it's okay to pay for advice. It's okay to pay for help. And yeah, I think you mentioned it before. It's like when you're starting your own business, you, you're a specialist in some field, aren't you? So you outsource what you're not good at. Mm. Absolutely. Focus on what you are good at and, mm. and let the rest sort it out. And sure, if you're a, a, like a, a PAYG employee, pay-as-you-go employee, you don't have any real deductions or anything, Sure, knock yourself out, use MyGov. But as soon as you get one little curly thing like I'm working from home and it could get tricky or you just want some help, like it's okay to pay for it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, And yeah, because it it does, it gets complicated. Like I said, it's almost like a foreign language. Mm. So, you know, we're there to just ask questions. And the accounting fee can be deductible. Well, that's right. For a long year. Correct. Or you prepay it and it's deductible in the current year. Giddy up. Sarah, any final words about all these questions that you've seen today? Um, no, look, it was a really, you know, broad, um, broad-based approach and, and some broad topics. So that was, it was really great. Join you guys and thank you for having me. Um, happy to, yeah, happy to help anyone with any questions or, um, you know, sit down and have a chat. That's what we're here for. So Yeah. And Altus, you guys help people all over Australia. Um, which is cool. So. Well, that's right. You know, yeah. after uh, now that we're all working from home and we're yep. Zoom and Teams, yeah. um, you can be anywhere in the world and Absolutely. you can, can be, be there. You can be talking to your accountant and their cat can be walking across the keyboard. <laughs> it can just get wild. <laughs> I don't have a cat, but yes, I'm sure that, that does happen. Oh, yeah. I know it is, Glenn. No. <laughs> well, I, there's actually... So I'm on my... Ah, uh, whatever. <clears throat> it's a story for another after party. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it there. I will uh, see you guys soon. If you've got any other random questions, throw them up in the Facebook group and we can have a discussion in there about it. That's it. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.